0: Stories. Fables. Ghostly tales.
1: Welcome you little lovelies. I have two brilliant tales just for your lovely ears that I hope will kickstart your Wednesday, aka hump day. Your first tale is titled Scenic Vista. Written by Fee Stringer. That's right, folks, he's back. And I welcome him with open arms. Fee has written for this podcast before, and I really love their work. One of the recent tales he sent through was Mr. TikTok. Check it out, it's episode 555. Super creepy, and a little bit gory. Just right. Today we get an original from Fee, who, like you, was a listener, and decided to put pen to paper. So in saying this, if you're listening and thinking, hey i got a story to tell, send it my way to storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Now your second tale is Angakuna Lake, keeping in line with today's theme of strange locations. So turn off your lights, boot up your GPS, and ensure everyone knows where you are at all times. Even in this day and age, with your mobile phone and everything, you still manage to get lost in the middle of nowhere? That takes talent. The voice of Jordan's ex-wife, Emma, rattled around in his head. Shut up, he murmured out aloud to a memory. His eyes surveyed the landscape around him. A desert, rock formations, the late afternoon sun mocking his sunglasses, making him squint just as hard. His eyes moved then to his gas gorge, the needle now firmly on E in the low fuel light, an orange that almost matched the boulder's colour. Shut up, he said again, this time to the dashboard of his car that had nothing but bad news. His divorce had been long and painful, and his mother's cancer had the same forecast from the doctors. But they had turned out to be very wrong about the timing. Jordan had to leave in a hurry, and according to his brother's phone call, he only had a few days before his mother would be gone. His savings had been depleted by the courts, so no plane ticket. Jordan jumped into his car that very night and began to drive. His mother was in a hospital in a small town she had adopted as her own and she had chosen to live her last days in the town. The town, called River Rock, was barely big enough to warrant a Google entry. Jordan had become very lost on the way. His phone's charger cable now no longer a charger cable, but a piece of garbage, making Jordan's phone functionally a similar piece of garbage. If something did not change and quickly, his car, and then his life, would join the two other objects as garbage all four stranded in the desert together. The road rounded a rocky hill and Jordan licked his lips. Shimmering in the heat of the late day, almost as if it had just appeared for his benefit, a small town was a quarter of a mile away. The sign said Scenic Vista, and to him it could have been called Dung Heap and looked just as appealing. As he approached he saw some small houses with well-kept lawns and a variety of vehicles from several different decades. Jordan wondered if there were historical auto enthusiasts in the town. His own auto enthusiasm finally peaked as he saw what was probably the one gas station in the town. He pulled next to one of the pumps and turned off his car, allowing a sigh of relief and a moment of shutting his eyes to calm his nerves before exiting the car. Jordan pulled out his wallet and looked at the pumps. They too. Looked a bit vintage as he noticed there was no place to swipe his severely weakened credit card. He put his wallet away and walked towards the desk inside. Jordan had taken two steps and then saw the attendant appear in the doorway. An odd expression on his face, somewhere between shock and joy. Jordan decided to ignore that impression and get what he came for, fuel and directions. Hi there, excuse me. Jordan said with a polite wave. I just need to get some gas here, but it needs to be on a card. Can I just go ahead and put $25 on it? The man just stared at him, the same dumbfounded look on his face. Another man, younger, peered at him through the window, also apparently awed by Jordan's presence. Jordan was about to speak again, but the first man, while still stumbling over his words a bit, finally spoke. "'Gaius, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, no. I'm sorry, sir. The pumps are down right now.' Jordan swallowed in an attempt to contain his frustration. After a deep breath, he asked a question he was sure he already knew the answer to. "'Is there another place I can get gas?' The attendant, still staring, slowly shook his head. Jordan turned around quickly, his anger preparing his body to lash out and perhaps kick one of the antique pumps. The impulse was cut short, though, and he froze, seeing that in the handful of minutes he had been stopped at the station, over a dozen people had decided to stare at Jordan as well. Some had walked up within a few feet of him. Some were watching from their porches and lawns. They had similar facial expressions to the attendant at the station. One woman had tears, welling up in her eyes. At a loss of what to do next, Jordan's hand instinctively went into his pocket for his car keys when another, much more friendlier voice came from his right. Hi there, sir. The man was elderly and had a kind face. He addressed the crowd. All you folk, I know it's been a while, but you're making the young man uncomfortable. Some of them exchanged glances and began carrying on with their day. One young woman who, Jordan, through all of his frustration and grief still could not help but notice was quite striking, continued to look at him, giving him a shy and playful smile. The old man looked at her and she, for a moment, glanced at him. The old man gave a small, almost imperceptible nod to her, and she began to walk away, turning once again to look at Jordan, smiling once more. I am sorry, mister... The old man said, extending his hand. Jordan took it and said... "'Just call me Jordan.' He looked around, not sure what to make of the odd display he had witnessed.
0: "'The name is Carson, Jordan. Pleased to meet you.' He looked at the slowly retreating townsfolk and said, "'Sorry about them. And not to sound too cliché, but we just aren't too used to strangers around here.' "'Don't worry about it,'
1: Jordan said, visibly more calm.
0: "'I need to find some gas, Carson.' I am kind of in a hurry, and I don't mean to be rude. Oh, yes, said Carson. The gas pumps, we should have them fixed soon, and I am sorry. He scratched his chin looking at Carson's car. Look, I am about the closest thing we have to a mayor here, so why don't you come by my house and get some supper? Then we can check on the gas pumps and see if we can get you on your way."
1: Jordan was about to protest when, almost on cue, like being woken from a long nap, his stomach
0: rumbled loudly enough to make Carson grin. Yeah, okay, I could definitely eat right now. Carson's
1: house matched the rest of the town's aesthetic, a strange hodgepodge of 20th century styles. He sat down, somewhat relieved, to not have to pay for the meal given his lack of money. The meal that came before him was nothing short of magnificent. Course after delicious course was brought one after another. Jordan ate as Carson spoke about the weather and some of the more important people in town. Jordan noticed that several of the people bringing the food he recognized from the odd encounter at the gas station earlier. They would linger and look at him for just a bit longer than Jordan felt comfortable with. Jordan was staffed. He could not manage even one more bite of the incredible dessert they had brought him.
0: Carson stood. Let me make a call about the gas station, son, and we'll see if they got that taken care of. Carson
1: excused himself from the room. Jordan noticed the beautiful girl from earlier standing in the kitchen. Once again, the flirtatious smile met him. Carson was very apologetic when he returned, stating that the gas pumps would still be out of commission until tomorrow morning. He did offer a room in his home for Jordan, who felt so hopeless and tired, that despite the strangeness of his few hours spent in scenic vista, he agreed to stay. Jordan sat on his bed contemplating the last time he had seen his mother, wondering if, due to his poor luck. It would end up being in fact the last time he would ever see her. He began slipping off his shirt and jeans when he heard a gentle knock on the door. He quickly put his pants back on and slipped on his unbuttoned shirt and went to the door. When he opened it he saw the pretty woman from before. Hello, she said in a friendly quiet voice as she walked past him into the room without waiting for an invitation. I am Courtney. And you must be Jordan. She said, sitting on the bed. I am sorry for being so forward, but I just saw you in town earlier and I felt... She looked at her shoes, embarrassed but still smiling. Jordan walked over to her. Look, Courtney. I'm not sure if... He was interrupted as she stood quickly, kissing him hungrily and passionately. He felt like giving in to the moment. All common sense, be damned. She reached for his pants and started to unbutton them when the absurdity of the situation made him stop kissing her. And turn away. Jordan knew this kind of thing never happened in real life, only in outlandish scenes on the internet. What's wrong? Courtney said, still looking seductive but also a bit nervous. Jordan turned and asked with a bit more harshness than he had intended. What's going on in this place? I want you, Courtney said starting to approach Jordan again. Stop! Jordan took a cautious step back. This doesn't make any sense. Tears rolled up in Courtney's eyes as she spoke. You can't leave. Please, just stay here with me. She was clearly desperate and frightened now. What? Why? If you leave, I... We all have to go back. She sobbed, her face in her hands back to what why to nothing she said with rage in her voice for years and years in just nothing jordan did not know what to say courtney continued through her tears this place all of us go away unless someone sees us here one guy from about 50 years ago called it quantum something he was a scientist but he was too old and died within a few months This doesn't make any sense, Jordan said, shaking his head. He was upset at the absurdity of her story. What if I close my eyes? What about while I sleep? He said, thinking he found a crack to break her delusion. Wouldn't you all just disappear then? Even when your eyes are closed, or you are sleeping, you can still hear us. Your body still feels the mattress. You still feel the town. Jordan started to shake his head when the door opened. Carson stood in the hallway with several of the other townspeople, including the young man from the gas station who glared at Courtney
0: with a spiteful expression. She's not crazy, son,
1: said Carson.
0: She is right. I am sorry about what might be going on in your life, but we can't let you leave. Jordan's
1: body began to tense up with alarm. He did not believe it for a moment, but he had to try to get through. Wait, why? He thought quickly. Why don't you all just leave then? Why
0: stay at all if what you are saying is true? Carson looked down mournfully at the floor. We can't leave, but we are bound to this place no matter where in the world we go. If someone is not here seeing the town, we go back to that place. Let me tell you, that place is hell. Our minds still keep on thinking, but we can't see or even talk to each other. So you see, you have no choice but to stay, or you will be dooming us all. My mother is dying. What if I just came back and...
1: Jordan stopped speaking as the young man behind Carson shoved the old man aside and charged him. Jordan could see the jealousy in his tortured expression and his relationship to Courtney became evident. The young man had a tire iron in his hand, and before Jordan could react, the tire iron's end had struck him in the stomach, doubling him over in pain. There were yells of protest from Courtney, Carson and the rest of the town as the next blow struck his lower back, making his legs go numb. You see? The young man said. We can just break this bastard's spine, and then... He won't have no say in it. He raised the weapon again, but Jordan saw Courtney try to reach for the young man, causing the bat to miss the target, striking Jordan instead in the throat. Jordan's breathing stopped, his windpipe crushed and his body starting to convulse. Curtis, you idiot! You killed him now! Jordan's lungs were starting to fail as the figures in the town faded one by one. The faces twisted in anguish and horror. Courtney's terrified face was the last, as Jordan's last
0: heartbeat ended. When you are lost in the desert, what if you find a place more lost than you?
1: Angikuna Lake The following is a true story of a legend surrounding a very bizarre disappearance with mysterious circumstances. It centers around Angikuna Lake in Nunavut, Canada. If you're interested to learn more about the story, it is popular on the internet and will be fully explained in the following paragraphs. What really happened is left to your interpretation. We live in a very modern and rational thinking world. When you think about it. There isn't much room left for religion or ghost stories anymore. Everything has a logical or scientific explanation. There's a reason why things go bump in the night. It makes sense how the universe was created. There are no discrepancies with pure common sense. Anything can be explained. Almost anything. Because when you think about it even more, there are always some things that no science, no religion, no logic, nothing could explain. They are anomalies, things that no one can come to conclusions about, that we can only let our imaginations and theories run wild on. Angakuna Lake is an ordinary lake in Nunavut, Canada. If your geography skills are proficient, you'd know that Nunavut is a fairly uneventful place. Southern Canada is where all the life is, the culture, the cities. Once you get farther north, there's dense wilderness, towering mountains, and rare animals. And then there's Nunavut, even farther north than that. To put it bluntly, it's just there. There's nothing to see, just tundra and ice as far as your vision can permit, along with Arctic islands long forgotten on maps and by the people who study them. It's one of the last places on Earth left untouched by man. Its capital is Iqaluit, a sleepy city on one such island. One thing about Nunavut is that since very few people live so far north, it's covered in lakes. I encourage you to look at a satellite map, covering the area tiny blue specks, bodies of cold water left to freeze for most of the year, and supporting meagre plant life for the little summer it has. Angikuna Lake is one such place. Joe LaBelle was a fur trapper in 1930. Fur trapping is not intensively physical work, but it can quickly get exhausting when one is subject to the unbearable cold of the region. Labelle was freezing, and he needed a place to stay. Fortunately, he was near Angakuna Lake. The setting of what a newsman had in that same year reported a small village of tribesmen, because the area is left so untouched. Tribes build igloos or small huts and call this barren land home. Labelle searched for the hospitality, He might have trouble getting around such a tiny village with no one who spoke his language or shared cultures, but it would have to do. What LaBelle saw would be the strangest, most perplexing thing he had ever seen. LaBelle did indeed find the village, as the newsman had stated. He approached the village and immediately noticed something was wrong. The village was lacking any life at all. As he entered the village, he couldn't shake off the eerie feeling that something was amiss. He went around and saw what could only be described as supernatural. No villager, no animal, nothing alive of any sort was present. All the houses were untouched, left in the condition they had always been, needles still pinned to their clothes, stew still boiling in its pot. Precious items just sat in their places, unmoved. Items lay scattered around in the fur coats, something villagers could not survive without simply hung in their place. Panicked, LaBelle left the town and called for the mountain men, Canada's police force of the north. The mountain men arrived and saw exactly what LaBelle did, buildings, items untouched. They lay strewn around houses and the village. It seemed as though the villagers had just stopped everything they were doing and left without warning. But certainly no such thing could be possible, right? The group's findings only grew more disturbing. As they looked for bodies, they found some. Seven sled dogs, dead, from the deep freeze and starvation. Any villager knows that he could never even hope of survival without his sled dogs. And then they found something no one, not even science, itself can explain. Graves. Dug up. The bodies missing. Surrounding each of them were perfect circles of stones. And no one knows what really happened to the villagers of Angakuna Lake. The mystery, it seems, can only be left to our interpretation. But there is one thing that we can confirm. Some things simply don't have a logical explanation. They are, as we simply put it, stranger than science. Folks, both these tales were a joy to read. Scenic Vista by Fee Stringer really took me by surprise. I can officially say that I have not read a story where the victim needs to be in the location for a location to exist. What a strange and unique premise. One that I like. It's almost like a reverse Peter Pan. You know, for things to be real in Peter Pan's world, you have to imagine it or it won't exist. Well, in a scenic view, you have to be there for it to exist. And simply being there keeps it there. Almost like a soul is the anchor to their reality. Fascinating. The second tale of Angikuni Lake is really wacky. Australia isn't really known for lakes or water, but I'm sure we have something here that lives on water that is poisonous and does something weird, like live under our fingernails or something awesomely disturbing like that. So reading this tale was a bit of an eye-opener, especially since it's based on real facts. Me being the avid researcher and having the power of a bazillion computers at my fingertips, A.K. Okay, Google, I researched this lake and thought I'd share a bit of the counter evidence on this story. In 1988, the Australian skeptics S.W. Horrell, who wrote, Many years ago the member of RCMP, who had served in the area at the time of these events, were asked for their comment on the story. They could not confirm it, recalled nothing like it, and were astounded that such a ridiculous tale could be believed. Our files were carefully searched, No strange craft was ever reported. No one named Joe LaBelle ever came to the RCMP in panic about Lake Anjikuni. The RCMP did not send out any search parties. The only records we have on the story are copies of letters to correspondents like yourself, informing the writers that the story is entirely fictitious. Now, in the tale I shared, there was no mention of a UFO or unidentified object, so that's new to me. But maybe, even dare I say highly likely, That the original story was made up. But as they say, let's not let the facts get in the way of a good story, right? Right. Now you little beauties, a listener just like yourself has left me a written iTunes review. And you know me, mates, I love myself. A good iTunes review. And I can't help but read it out. The person who left it is... Morninia. Give it a listen. Great podcast all around. The narrator has a charming voice and a really lovely personality that you will come to enjoy. The stories have a lot of variety, so there is something you are sure to love. Mate, you put me on cloud nine. I love reading these kind of iTunes reviews, puts the pep in my stem. So thank you so much for giving me a written high five Mourinha, that was so lovely. Also, I'll be adding these written reviews from here on in to my Patreon page as a reminder to how epic people are. Okay. It's time for my listener stories that I write just for the 0 T-Titans and White T-Warlords. Let's jump right on in. First up, my O'Night T-Titans. Maya, Silver Plate Lake. The Silver Plate Lake of the Boreal Forest is shrouded in mystery, with very few knowing where it is. Of course, all but the Norwegian hunters from ages past. The lake itself is a product of magic and alchemy. Arguably, though, no one who uses the lake truly knows the power that created it, other than it confers those that bathe in it access to an unknown world and a shortened lifespan, so it seems. The trade-off for a reduced life is access to a universe that others cannot see and are unable to travel. The Silver Plate Lake lets you push through the veil that separates our world from the multiverse, and with each willing push the Silver Walkers, as they're called, traverse unknown universes disappearing for years at a time. This is why people of Boreal Forests go missing, for they travel through worlds unknown to us. Make no mistake though, these travelers may disappear, but they are far from being lost. Solstra, Lake of Borrowed Sorrows. The Lake of Borrowed Sorrows possesses the power for self-reflection, an ability to share one's thoughts with those around you and communicate your feelings without words. Two participants entered the lake and a transformation takes place. The waters confer the thoughts and minds of those that reside in the lake, your deepest thoughts, your proudest achievements, your happiest moments. But should you choose to, the lake shares your darkest secrets, your disappointments, and the feelings felt that you thought would never be possible to share. The Lake of Borrowed Sorrows has the participants willingly swap mental states and thoughts, and confers a tremendous power to reflect. Literally putting each person in each other's shoes. A lake like no other, a life-changing experience. And of course, my amazing white tea warlords. Iron Cows, Cast Iron Clan. The barbarians of Heppis were struggling to fight off invading hordes of competing barbarians in outer plains of the Karlip, a land that has pockets of oasis, green land and life, and splotches of corruption and blight. That creeps up on the edges of those green lands. The Hepians were struggling to find a means to combat their foes when they stumbled across a lake, bubbling and a brewing, like something they'd never seen before. After testing its waters, they realized that this lake coats anything that enters it in iron. From that day, the Lake of Iron birthed a new tribe of the Cast Iron Clan, wherein which their spears and their projectiles were coated with this heavy material leading to significantly more casualties in the enemy tribe after just the first fight. A new era was born from this lake, and the new tribe was reborn from the bubbling depths of the Iron Lake itself. And Lee Bauer, Lake of Crystal Shards. The Lake of Crystal Shards is hidden away from the common law of this world, and rightfully so. Thousands have lost their souls to this mournful entity. Living it is not, but nonetheless it consumes. The lake is made of crystals and shards of glass, where winds are trapped and alluring sounds echo throughout its mesh-like weave of angles and triangular prisms. Within the center of the lake are reflections of whatever creature or beings happen upon it. The unsuspecting individual, unaware of the danger they face, invariably becomes mesmerized by the reflections. They are shown images of themselves succeeding, performing heroic deeds, and carrying out brave acts of justice. People, however, who watch these poor souls, have expressed that they hear those afflicted by the lake, screaming in joy, crying in sadness, and ultimately, disappearing as quickly as they came. The lake itself is an entity, an exquisite danger, that lives in the heart of a corrupted land, and serves as a warning to those that wander into a maze of crystals whose prisms echo to those that it takes for good. Mates, thank all of you for your top tier level of support. I have multiple projects in the works thanks to you, mates, and I'll soon be spearheading most of them. So, stay tuned to Patreon, where you can hear the goss and the updates from me directly about what's going on. In fact, tonight I'm going to upload the next step in a big step that I'm taking that takes this podcast in a whole new direction. Anyway, it's all good news, don't worry. <laughs> and it's all thanks to you. Now, onto my brilliant Eldgrain forces Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Tristan Cassidy, and Dolphin and Cow. Thank you, mates, for supporting the show. You supercharge each episode thanks to your support, and every single one of you is helping me raise that bar a little bit higher every time. Thank you so, so much. Mates, I'll catch you Friday for the continuation of Dracula, so stick with me then. And as always, till next, we meet.